Welcome to the Vanderbilt University Medical Center's Faculty Forum with your host, Matt Warhoover. Perfect. Okay, so with that said, finally, it is with, so which camera am I, are we looking at here? David? Camera two. We're like, this is like the Keystone Cops. <laughs> Wait, why don't we go to camera one? You can't when you share s slides from somewhere else. It has to be camera oh. two. No, he can. Yeah. Okay. So it's really with great pride, I'll just do this, um, to be doing the inaugural Vanderbilt University Medical Center Department of Cardiovascular Surgery Faculty Forum. And Matt Warhoover, thank you so very much, the director of the program. Um, of the perfusion program. I can't thank you enough for doing this. You've participated in our programs before. With you, of course, is your colleague, Joey Lepore. Joey, good morning. morning. Thank you so much. I know, you, do you go by Tony or Joey? I go by Joey. Joey, okay. But your name is Anthony. Yeah, uh, my mom wanted to make it complicated for me. I understand that. And then there's Dr. Jordan Hoffman, who is the, I, I don't want to get this wrong, but are, you're not the, you have a chair of Department of Surgery, Cardiac Surgery. Are you the, you're the, the, the director of the program or the chairman of the program, Doc? I just exist. I understand that. Okay. You do just, I understand that. When we were out there visiting you, we were going to go to dinner, but you had to leave and fly down, I think it was down to Duke, to go pick, from, from Vanderbilt, to go pick up a heart, heart and lung and block, I think. Heart. Yeah, that was a heart-lung procurement. How did that patient do? Well. Good. I'm yeah, glad. I'm he, got his, he didn't get the heart-lung uh, from that particular donor, but uh, the following day or, or two days later, we got another offer, and I procured that, and uh, he got transplanted, did well, left the unit, and um, is almost out of the hospital. Wow. That, is, that is absolutely fantastic. I'm so happy about that. So, Matt, once again, I want to thank you. We've worked on this for quite some time to start expanding what is really the knowledge pool to get enough people in the various parts of the, the, the country and hopefully the world to participate in this and everybody have a perspective and see what our collective knowledge is. So thanks for being my friend. Thanks for taking us to dinner that night. I really appreciate it. I don't have very many friends, Matt. So, you know, hey, everyone I can get, I appreciate and you're going to be talking today on this inaugural program on DCD, which is the first time I'd ever heard of it was talking to you, mm -hmm. which is heart procurement, which is donation after cardiac death and using the transmedics device for as an organ care system. You have are one of the very few that have the opportunity to work with this device. And I think that all of your knowledge and plus you were number one in heart transplants. I forgot to mention that just recently, no, which I thought was so important. Um, but I think you guys have a very unique perspective on all of this. Looking forward to the talk and the short discussions afterwards. So with that said, I've talked long enough for my, until uh, I have my sip of my coffee. Uh, it's on you, Matt. Floor's yours. Appreciate it, Joe. Thanks for having us. We're excited to uh, be a part of this. And, uh, Hopefully, this continues to be an ongoing program uh, for us to uh, kind of be able to kind of collaborate across uh, this, Zoom, this new Zoom world that we're living in. Mm -hmm. 
So uh, without further ado, we can just jump into it. Um, uh, I'm going to go over like uh, the overview of the Transmedics uh, OCS organ care system, and then uh, Joey's going to talk about uh, more or less a a, a one-off uh, what we've done. Uh, we've kind of created our own um, system, if you will. Uh, and he'll get to the details after my short little slide. So we'll just get into it. Next slide. So uh, DCD, as you talked about, Joe, is a, it is a, a donation after cardiac death. Uh, essentially what it is, it, it's um, it, it, the, uh, uh, the donor is not uh, considered a brain dead um, by the definitions, uh, the medical de definitions. And so what has to happen is that they actually withdraw care. The patient uh, expires naturally. And then after the patient expires with a, uh, from a cardiac standpoint, asystole or PEA, depending on who's declaring, um, then we're able to harvest organs afterwards. Um, the uh, DCD is not new. It's been around for uh, over 40 years. In fact, that was the very first uh, donations. That's because they didn't have the test to determine brain death at that time. Uh, but they've been doing uh, donations like this for a long time. Uh, ironically, um, you know, these organs would simply just be going in the trash. Uh, I don't mean trash, but uh, they, they would really be not utilized, and they, you know, they would stay within the patients. They would expire, and you know, they would go, uh, you know, to the morgue or wherever it was. And um, there's yeah. not enough organs out there. Um, there's a long list, as you all know, and um, this. And we have the ability to uh, increase, uh, you know, about 25% um, of our or organ recovery effort. Um, next slide. So uh, these are all the organs that, uh, that are currently utilized in DCD. Um, we see quite a bit uh, with the livers um, and the pancreas and the kidneys. The abdominal teams are, are quite aggressive, and um, they probably make up, uh, the lion's share of all DCDs done across the country, um, probably upwards of four times uh, of, of the number of hearts that are done. And so uh, but we're starting to expand in this field um, and trying to get a foothold uh, because hearts are needed uh, just as bad as anything, any other organ. And then the lungs, although we don't do uh, the lungs currently with the OCS, uh, lungs uh, are, are able to be pumped uh, on the OCS with a different disposable as are the hearts and the livers. It just takes different disposables, but the, 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 the hardware is the same. It's just the disposable that changes. Next slide. And so um, the, how, how it goes about is that the family has decided that, that you know, they, they're convinced that, um, that, you know, this is what their wishes are, or their loved one's wishes would be. And although they're, although they're not technically, by medical definition, uh, they don't meet the requirement of brain dead, um, they, they feel that, it, that the, the quality of life is not going to be there for that patient. So they, they consent to the, the appropriate um, removal of the support, and, uh, and then the OPO um, decides to you know, deem them as appropriate candidate, and then they send out the offers. Um, what is very interesting is that patient until they expire, they're considered a patient, and there's very, very strict 
ethical uh, safeguards for those patients. Um, the procuring uh, physicians and, and personnel are not, not able to actually be in the room or take care of the patient until they've expired, and they're, then therefore they're not long, no longer a patient. Um, then, then the procuring um, team can actually uh, touch the body. Mm. Um, we're, ne we're never part of the decision making of how that patient is uh, taken care of, um, and, and it's kind of a hands-off, and really you're, you're really wanting to be blinded to it because you don't want to influence that. Um, they really want to keep it a separate church and state, or that, that patient is being cared for by that facility, by that team member, um, and all the, all the physicians from that hospital. And we're coming in as a, as, as a secondary team that um, really takes over after, uh, after death. Next slide. So uh, the, the, these are our potential donors. Um, it's, a, it's a myriad of different um, etiologies, but typically it's some sort of uh, head trauma that, um, or, or anoxic injury. Um, they cannot usually uh, over, overbreathe the vent um, but yet they still don't meet that criteria like we talked about. And what we have a, a criteria, Joey's going to talk about that uh, in a little more detail, but usually um, we need, we need the, the, the patient to expire within about 30 minutes of withdrawal of support. Next slide. And then our criteria is, uh, our, this, the criteria for the DCD for the OCS is a lot more stringent because of the rules and regulations surrounding the FDA and, and different um, of, of the trials that are going on. Uh, so 18 to 49 is uh, the, the age for the, uh, for the patients that are uh, donating. Um, we have to have a crit of greater than 25%. Uh, if the crit is lower than that, uh, they will transfuse up to that. And we usually get a, a blood gas within 30 minutes of uh, extubation. Um, and so what happens is, is that once, once they withdraw support from the ventilator, um, the patient uh, will you know, start to deteriorate. And as soon as an arterial saturation hits 70 or below, or the systolic arterial pressure is 50 or below, that's when our clock starts. And so depending on where we're at, institution to institution and state to state, Sometimes there's a two-minute standoff period. Sometimes there's a five-minute standoff period. So what that means is once uh, the patient does expire, they will declare that you know they they have death, and then they will use a, you know a stethoscope and they'll listen for heart tones and 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 what different signs. Two minutes or five minutes later, no one can touch the patient during that time. And once that standoff period is done, the the physician that was taking care of the patient will check for vitals one more time, and at that point they're declared, uh, you know, they've passed. And then that is when our team can actually uh, start uh, the process. The patient is expired. It's no longer in the care of that physician or that, that, that uh, hospital. And then we're going to start taking over. It's kind of rough to say, but we're, we're going to start managing the organs that are, that are still available there that are, that are left on the table. Um, Next slide. And then th this is a slide I, I, I took from uh, Transmedics, and it just goes through the, the procurement process. Um, I could talk about it, uh, but it, it essentially really uh, does a good job of 
what the process is and how it works. Starts out with withdraw, um, then we go to the, uh, the the timer, and then it goes into we we create the uh, cessation of circulation. It's it's um, declared by the physician, and then the observation, the standoff period. We get into the pr uh, pronunciation of death, and uh, then we go ahead and, and we re reanimate um, the the heart and get it on the uh, the uh, OCS. Next slide. And then it, uh, the, the OCS really does act like a, a miniature intensive care. We're watching the parameters. We're watching the blood pressure in the coronaries. We're watching the flows out of the coronaries into the coronary sinus. Um, we're watching lactate levels and all your blood gases that you would normally run a full panel. Um, and we try to you know, mimic uh, the natural state of the body. Uh, we are able to even hook up a hemoconcentrator if possible, if we need to take some volume off. More than likely, we, we usually don't ever get enough volume. Um, and Joey's going to talk about uh, the details of how we procure more or less the finer points of that um, in his slide. Um, but like I said earlier, the OCS, uh, liver, heart, and lung, they have the different disposables. And uh, that's pretty much uh, the overview of what the whole DCD process is. OCS is very specific. Um, we're using their device. We're using their trials, their recommendations. And so the framework is a little bit tighter uh, as far as what the donor criteria is and, and the parameters in which uh, you, know, uh, you accept the heart or you don't accept the heart after you put, uh, put it on the, the OCS device. But ultimately, it's up to the transplanting surgeon you know, back here at Vandy whether we take the heart or not. Um, you know, after two, three, four hours, up to you know, I think we've done it up to six or seven hours on the uh, on the heart in a box, and then we just watch the heart, run the labs, and see if it's a a, a viable organ that uh, they're willing to uh, place in in our recipient. I think that's all I got. Next slide. Yep. Hey guys. Hey. That was that was that's that's fascinating. You know, really I, when I first learned about all of this, but yeah, you know, I've heard rumors of, but really learned about it um, talking with you, Matt. Um, but uh, it's an amazing device. Do we want to get into um, these discussions now, or do you want to go forward with Joey's uh, presentation? Does Dr. Hoffman have uh, something he wants to add to this prior to us? Uh, uh, going on to the next thing or just tell me how we need to run it i think we i think it'd be better to uh see the next presentation so that when we discuss uh the different issues surrounding dcd donation we can um reference both talks perfect both techniques sounds good perfect okay so can we do that uh, guys david there you go All right. Uh, well, once again, I just want to say thank you to uh, Joe for having us on. Um, you know, we appreciate the collaboration here. Uh, I'll do a brief discussion on um, uh, we, we call it NRP, but you know, as you can see here, normothermic regional perfusion, uh, essentially is uh, in uh, you know in situ or you know in the body, you know, procurement of the heart. So if you want to begin, go to the next slide. 
So really what we've done is uh, taken what we've learned from the ex vivo organ procurement, uh, you know, with the OCS, and uh, we've applied it to, um, you know, the kind of the traditional way of procuring hearts. And uh, it's allowed us to expand our, our offers. Uh, you know, again, as Matt alluded to, we have uh, such need for organs, and uh, if we can, uh, you know, recover some of these, uh, you know, it's always a great thing. And, um, you know, again, you know, we abide by, uh, you know, institutional guidelines, state guidelines, you know, and, and absolutely, you know, um, you know, we want to make sure we uh, honor the family's wishes. So that's always one of the most important things. Next slide. All right, so uh, I'll just give you a brief uh, process from, you know, like a perfusion standpoint, you know, all, all the, uh, you know, selection criteria, you know, is, is outside my realm. Um, but from, you know, kind of like what we view, um, you know, there, there's always, you know, communication amongst all the team members, you know, the hospital, the OPO, you know, the, um, you know, the people, uh, you know, uh, setting up the organ procurements, you know, ourselves, our, our team, abdominal team, you know, making sure that everybody's on the same page. So, um, you know, there's, there's no confusion, uh, you know, and then a final timeout is performed prior to withdrawal. Uh, typically takes place in the OR or the PACU. Again, that's, you know, depends on the institution. Uh, we get a, a baseline loaded blood gas, uh, so we can kind of see what the hematocrit is. Again, we, you know, for for us, we try to make sure it's over the 25% mark. Um, you know, and again, if if uh, if needed, they'll uh, hang a unit and, and transfuse up to that 25 uh, mark. And then, um, you know, again, depending on the uh, the guidelines uh, where where we go. Uh, it varies on how much we can get done prior to. So sometimes they're able to prep and drape, sometimes they're not. Um, you know, sometimes we can set up our circuit and have it ready to go. You know, other places we can't. So, you know, that affects that ischemic time for us. You know, shaves a couple minutes or adds a couple minutes, it just depends. Uh, next slide. All right, so, um, you know, typically the, uh, you know, the family comes in uh, during the uh, withdrawal stage, and, and all the procurement teams, you know, that are gonna, I, I feel like, yes, to, to the hospital. You know, we, we exit and, and are, are away, you know, so that there's no, um, you know, mixing between. And, um, you know, they, they do the withdrawal, and, um, you know, that's kind of start, you know, that ischemic time Matt talked about with the OCS. We kind of kept those same parameters uh, that, you know, systolic pressure 50. Or the SAT of you know seventy percent, whichever comes first, we start our timer. And again, you know, like I talked about in the last slide, it just depends on what we can have done prior to. So there's a standoff time we have to consider uh, how much prep and drape we have to do, and um, you know the incision astronomy. We all have to we have to take into account you know those those crucial minutes. Next slide. And so uh, after the patient uh, progresses and, you know, everything is declared, uh, the family is, is taken out and then the procurement team enters. We await that final confirmation and then uh, incision sternomy is performed. And with this, you know, the head vessels uh, are clamped immediately and then uh, attention is paid to uh, central cannulation. Next slide. And so from our standpoint uh, with perfusion, these are just, you know, uh, the main things that we bring along with us, 
you know, we use a, a centrifugal pump and then um, you know, our, uh, our custom ECMO packs and we turn that into a closed loop system. We incorporate a reservoir with the uh, you know, oxygenator and essentially, you know, we just, we go on bypass when we're ready. Um, you know, there's a few other things, you know, drop suckers we use. And then, um, you know, obviously we use uh, vacuum-assisted drainage. Next slide. And these medications that we use, you know, majority of them are, are from the uh, uh, OCS. Uh, we incorporated a few more, um, such as the uh, acetylcysteine and um, I think uh, some rocuronium. Uh, for, for obvious reasons, you know, we just want to make sure everything goes smoothly. And, um, yeah, I think that's pretty much it. Um, you know, like I said, from a perfusion standpoint, this is, it's essentially just like a crash-on-bypass situation, um, making sure that, you know, we, we get on safely. And, um, you know, the, 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 the main goal is to reanimate, you know, with, within the body. Instead of uh, explaining and putting it on the machine, we're doing everything in C2 and then, uh, you know, watching it for about an hour, you know, we pump the heart and this, you know, allows systemic perfusion for all the other organs while they're making their preparations. And then, um, you know, after everybody's ready, you know, we just do a traditional cross clamp and everybody flushes as usual. And, um, you know, from there, it's just like a traditional procurement. Next slide. I think that was the last time. Cool. Yep. Okay. Dude, this is this stuff is fat. This is fascinating stuff to me. It really is. Um, you know, I got to tell you, I uh, I've seen a lot of uh, a lot of things in my years. And uh, Joey, you know, I got to ask a question to you though, just very quickly. On that second to last slide, so you go on bypass it with a traditional oxygenator and reservoir. So it's not like you go on, you don't crash on ECMO. You're actually using a regular oxygenator with reservoir to completely decompress things. Is that what you're doing? Correct. Hmm. And, but you bring a poor, but you're not bringing a whole heart lung machine with you. You're just bringing, you're just bringing an ECMO circuit. Correct. And so, yes. no, so I mean, essentially, you know, ECMO with a reservoir, you know, um, you know, however you want to label it, yeah. I mean, it's 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 you know bypass bones and purposes. Yes, and I think the reservoir is the most important part, only because when I don't know how much experience anyone else has, but when we first open the chest, the heart is hugely distended because all the venous return just kind of pools in the heart. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't, you know, going on ECMO uh, wouldn't be a um, a great uh, way to start. We want the adequate decompression, so that's the purpose of the. The reservoir, and then we also add in, occasionally we'll add in a PA vent to even decompress uh, further. Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. So, I mean, especially if you're, like, what percentage of the time are you doing, like, can, can you use this device with the heart, lung, and block, or is that just a, is that not feasible with the DCD device? That it has to either be heart independently, lung independently, liver independently. We, we perfuse the entire body. So the first thing we do when we open the chest is we clamp the head vessels, and then we just cannulate, you know, right atrium and aorta, just like a standard bypass case. 
and we perfuse the entire body. Now the transmedics device, you have to divide, you know, you take the organs out individually and you put them on the device on the back table. Mm -hmm. um, you can do uh, liver, kidneys, pancreas, lungs, and heart, but they all have to be done separately and there's no reperfusion inside to. So it's all done on the back table. And mm -hmm. so there's a period of cold, warm and cold ischemic time prior to starting the actual reperfusion mm -hmm. of the organ on, on the transmedics device. There is a group in Europe though that has been able to modify the transmedics to de device to do a heart-lung uh, lock on the transmedic system. Mm -hmm. um, so they've basically taken the heart transmedics device and added a ventilator to it. Mm -hmm. um, but outside of that, most of the organs on the transmedics device are isolated. Mm -hmm. Yeah. May I ask one last question, and I promise you can ask all yours. I'm sorry. When you guys clamp the head vessels, even the, notwithstanding this patient has likely had a, a neurologic event of some sort, do you see a lot of neurohormonal outflow of, of, of you know, pressure, module, you know, anything that affects pressure or heart rate or anything else? Not typically, no. The, uh, once the head vessels are clamped, and we clamp all three, we clamp the Anominate, the, the left common carotid, and the left subclavian prior to uh, initiating uh, full support. Um, there is, we don't see um, some of the uh, changes you would expect for someone who's brain dead. Um, those come usually after some, some period of time, but not in the acute setting. There are some, you know, the, the ethical concern is that um, there are some collateral routes to perfusion of the brain. Although the thought is that with clamping the brachiocephalic vessels like we do, you've eliminated probably most of the flow. Um, and, um, and that's how you justify ethically this technique. And then additionally, uh, you know, in the list of uh, drugs, you know, a, a lot of the, uh, the hormones, uh, we use levothyroxine, a, a lot of the hormonal, um, you know, your native hormones that you actually get from, uh, you know, from you know, in the brain or uh, from cerebral perfusion, because they are clamped, we're, we're substituting and, and, you know, we're, we're delivering those hormones in, in our prime mm -hmm. to account for the, uh, the loss of that. Mm -hmm. hmm. Tammy, go ahead. I know you have a lot of questions. Well, you actually asked a couple of them. I had, yeah, I do have a couple questions and mine are more, um, mostly technical just for the, um, perfusion part. So I wanted to ask, I saw uh, del nido cardioplegia. What are you doing with that? Are you using cardioplegia? Yeah, so for, you know, traditionally speaking, when they go for a heart procurement, when everybody's ready, you know, they cross clamp and flush. Um, you know, I, I can't speak from like a traditional standpoint of what they use, but for us, they use, okay, so they use del nido. So yeah, I mean, you know, we just, you know, when they're ready, we cross clamp, and then they use cardioplegia, we just, you know, use Del Nido. Mm -hmm. And that is like we would in, in the OR just to arrest the heart. And then it's, you know, procured, taken on the back table, prepped and, and you know, submerged wow. in ice and transported, you know, to the, transported the traditional way. Okay. With the OCS, you know, they, they, we use the same thing when we're ready, we cross clamp, you know, flush, arrest the heart, and then we take it to the box and reanimate it there. The, so. the difference in those two techniques is that uh, with the transmedics device, we open the chest, 
drain about 1,000 to 1,500 mLs of blood into the device okay. or into a bag, which is then added to the prime. And then we plege the heart with Del Nido, although the heart is not beating anyway. We just do it as kind of a protective. It's a protective And then measure. we cut it out thanks to the back table. I see. In the NRP technique, we crash on. You know, after clamping the head vessels, we crash on, reperfuse the entire body, including the heart. And usually you see reanimation of the heart. And the heart, nine times out of ten, will go back into sinus rhythm. Occasionally you do have to defibrillate or cardiovert. Um, but, and then we'll reperfuse like that for about an hour. And then once everyone's ready, we'll cross clamp, give pleats, cut the heart out. So the, just the timing of when the Del Nido is given is the big difference between those two techniques. Okay. And, and um, it, it, oh, and, and it's uh, a little bit ironic that, you know, you've got the abdominal team. The, you know, it's taking you know, roughly about another hour that they're usually not, you know, uh, used to uh, having to be at the procurement uh, facility. But... Uh, <laughs> The positive feedback we've gotten from the, some of the liver surgeons is that, uh, you know, because we've reanimated these in situ for an hour and, you know, more or less turned the organ, you know, more or less back around from being in a very ischemic uh, state, uh, when they go to, um, when they go to re-implant, we've, we've gotten a couple of phone calls back saying that the, you know, the liver started making bile intraoperatively on the, on the, on the, uh, more or less um, transplanted organ, it, it, they're coming back a lot quicker um, than, than what they normally see on a traditional, just on a traditional organ uh, transplant. We've gotten a couple phone calls from those, uh, the, the liver sites. Yeah, that and, actually... and to speak to that, uh, they, the liver surgeons will often say, well, this organ is going to act like a DCD organ, which means the LFTs are going to, the liver function test, AST, ALT are going to, um, shoot through the roof initially and be slow to come down, whereas the ones that are perfused systemically with our NRP technique, um, you know, I've heard uh, stories of uh, post-liver transplant patients with ASTs and ALTs that only peak in the maybe 200, which is exceedingly low. Mm -hmm. um, and so we've also explored routes of doing this, even when we're not taking heart and lungs, just doing this for the abdominal teams to allow their mm -hmm. liver and kidneys to reperfuse more quickly. Yeah, that was actually my next question was, are you working together with these other procurement teams, uh, even if you're not doing heart or lung um, procurement? Because it seems like it would be better for the organ, for them as well. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah, we, are, we're, we're not, we, ha we haven't established a, a mature program for abdominal procurement yet, but we have done a few runs where um, there were some, uh, you know, an, early in our experience, we had some injuries to the aorta which uh, made it, put us in a situation where the heart uh, was non-salvageable, but we still were able to systemically perfuse the body, body for you know, 45 minutes for the abdominal team to do their dissection, and, and those livers and kidneys did well. And, and to that point, you know, it, it, I would say we've done, what, 19, 21 of these uh, as far as the, 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 the NRP, and probably uh, we've done probably the last three or four um, probably the same way but this is a constant evolving mm -hmm. technique that you know it, it's you see something or say what would what would we do better uh, you know or we run into a, an issue and go okay well we had that issue we didn't see that we didn't see that coming or that didn't happen yet and then we just overcome that um, to, to dr. Hoffman's point we've changed aortic cannulas uh, from you know uh, um, one to another 
And then we've done one more modification where we use a, a stylet, a sterile stylet, because when, when the patient um, has been declared dead, they have a very flaccid aorta. So I've never cannulated someone, but uh, uh, I, I have seen the struggles um, with people you know, cannulating, and it, uh, it, it, it doesn't seem like it's a very easy technique. I can yeah. Huh. Um, we talk, you talked a little bit about the lactate levels. What kind of lactate levels are you seeing, and what, what would be the ranges that you would decide that the lactate is too high and this is not going to be a good donor? So I'll just say typically for, for OCS, you know, non-DCD OCS, you know, they, they usually start low and climb, and, and then, you know, we're making adjustments to, to try to plateau and decrease it. Mm -hmm. With the OCS DCD trials, uh, they typically start high and, uh, you know, drastically um, reduce. And then with our NRP, you know, they kind of mimic that, where they, they start high and as we perfuse, even just for that hour, you know, uh, that systemic perfusion, those lactates tend to trend downward pretty quick. I see. And how... And the, the one I'll, I'll add to that is that um, on the OCS, when we're using the OCS uh, heart device, the, the lactates are reflective solely of uh, perfusion of the heart and, and the lactate that's being generated there. And so, in my experience, and correct me if I'm wrong, the lactates are usually below five. Okay. When we're doing the NRP technique, um, the lactates we check are reflective of entire body malperfusion. And our, lac our first lactate is typically close to 10, and typically uh, will come down to nine or eight after about an hour of perfusion. And that's not so much to evaluate the organ, okay. because it gets in situ, it's to evaluate the adequacy of our perfusion to the entire body. Oh, I see. Uh -huh. Okay, that makes sense. How often do you go and determine that these uh, that the organ is not acceptable? Is that something that's uh, rare, or do you, do you find that you travel somewhere and then after you do this uh, perfusion that it's it's not going to be a, a, a good organ? Yeah, we. Uh, there are a couple of reasons we could decline an organ. I mean, we can decline it before we even go out there for um, one reason or another. Um, either it's coronary disease or the function doesn't look great. Um, when we get out to the center, we could decline it uh, if uh, something's changed in flight, which doesn't happen often. Okay. Uh, we could decline it if, um, for instance, we uh, extubate the patient and they don't progress to agonal in a period of time, or if we extubate, they progress to agonal, but they'll progress to asystole within a period of 30 or 35 minutes, depending on which technique we use. Mm -hmm. um, and then once we've uh, decided we're going to take the heart, um, if we put it on the box and the lactates don't fall, or they're above an absolute number, then we can decline the organ. If we're using the NRP technique and the heart just doesn't look good, for instance, maybe the RV dilates when we come off pump, or uh, there's some other issue, then we would decline the organ at that point. So there are a lot of different times where the organ can be declined for one reason or another. And, and I will say, I think uh, we've declined um, out of the OCS that we've done, and I'm not going to stratify whether it was DCD or, or a regular, but I think we've only declined four hearts, um, uh, and we've done, I think, well over 20 or 25 mm -hmm. of the OCS. And, and the NRP is actually those those organs are actually they seem they seem to be a lot better 
Um, and I don't know if that's because the criteria that uh, you know that we select most of those patients are very young patients. Um, you know, from we, I think we've done 13 years old all the way up to about 42 um, on those. But um, wow. they just see, those organs seem to uh, you know to be pristine mm -hmm. uh, when when they come off. Um, when we bring them back, uh, the, you know, the, the transplanting surgeon you know gets the 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 heart out of the, the cooler, and uh, they're just very impressed on how that organ looks. Um, even, you know, they've made the comment that it, it, it looks it looks better than usual. Oh, wow. And Dr. Hall. I'm yeah, I that. think that just goes to the selection criteria. I agree. We've done young donors, and uh, actually our, our cutoff is 35 years old, uh, just for, just to, because, you know, this is the start of this technique, and so we're just being very conservative with our selection. So the donors are admittedly very uh, ideal compared to, you know, normal brain mm -hmm. death donation. Mm -hmm. but, but once again, you know, th those, those organs would not be used. Right. I mean, um, right. that, that heart would not be used on a, um, you know, on a 35, 13-year-old, 18-year-old. Those organs are not on the market, uh, mm -hmm. not to use a, a bad term, but they're, they're, they're just not going to be utilized. So we're actually, you know, pulling organs um, from from you know from donors that would never be considered donors, right? Otherwise, they would have uh, just been wasted, if you will. I yeah, yep. I get that. Okay, I think that's all my questions, Joe. You have any follow-ups? Yeah, I did. Um, so a couple of curious questions is when you put someone on pump, uh, and I'll I'll ask Joey if I can ask you this, and then maybe you can include the other guys um, with you, but do you see any value if you have a patient who may be, uh, have very high lactate and you're trying to get that under control early when you go on pump with your miniature circuit reservoir decompress and you're flowing, if you, let's say, had some renal dysfunction or other dysfunction that maybe you couldn't get that lactate cleared, is there any value in using some type of continuous renal replacement therapy simultaneously to clear all of that, those metabolites, you know, essentially as some of the inflammatory mediators while you're in that reperfusion stage, reanimating the entire body? Oh, I'm, I'm sure there's some, you know, great value in that. Uh, the issue that comes to my mind is you know, time. Uh, I mean, the, we're only on pump here for about 40, you know, minutes to an hour. Um, you know, I, I don't know if, how we would be able to effectively set that up or bring it with us. Um, you know, ha have all that extra equipment. Mm -hmm. You know, to be able to do that. Um, you know, really, what we're focusing on is is you know, adequate systemic perfusion. Um, you know, we haven't quite run into those issues yet, but mm. uh, again, yeah, I, I don't know how we would be able to, um, you know, incorporate you know, extra equipment. Mm -hmm. Well, we, you know, we have brought, we bring a hemoconcentrator yeah. to where we could, you know, we could potentially Z-buff and we'd, we'd, we'd bring all of that. Um, the problem that we run into is we thought early on, we're like, oh, that'd be a great idea. You know, we'll be able to hemoconcentrate. It may have a lot of volume on board, you know, whether, whether it's a trauma patient, whatever it is. Um, you know, crits are low mainly because 
the patient, you know, probably, you know, bled, and you know, they did probably give some units of blood, but they also gave a lot of crystalloid, right? So, the idea is, we'll, we thought, well, well, we'll go ahead, and when we go on open reservoir, we'll have a lot of volume. What we found out is that when we go on, we do have a good amount of volume. And in the beginning, we did hemoconcentrate to try to get a, you know higher crit, more box cars running around a little better. What we didn't realize is that you know we're fully heparinized, and there are multiple different organ procurement teams working. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. in the typical organ procurement fashion, they don't really. Um, I'll just it, bleeding does not really. Uh, cross the other team's mind, and so um, because they don't have a reservoir, you know, the, and the on typical procurement, the heart is beating. Um, you, you know, you got an anesthesiologist taking care of you know the, the pressures and the volumes up there, whereas we don't have any. Of, you know, we, you you know as well as I do, Joe, that when you're low on fluid back there in the in the reservoir. You know, you either you have a couple options: you drop crystalloid or you drop blood. Mm -hmm. We end up. Using we end up using between two and four units of blood after we go on pump right. because of the blood loss that we get with the abdominal team. Mm -hmm. And these guys, these guys are being nice. I mean, when we open the chest and shove a cannula in the right atrium, it's not the most hemostatic thing. And sometimes we get blood on the floor. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, again, we have four units available in each case. And uh, I think I've only been in one case where we didn't have to give additional units. It was that last one we yeah. Hey, and, and we're getting better at it, uh, but but the, the the whole bleeding issue, when we're fully heparinized, and you're you're dealing with multiple different organ teams that aren't used to having people on bypass. I mean, a, you know, a pancreas team or a liver team or, or you know a kidney team, they they they're not used to having you know fully heparinized patients that you know require us to have blood back in our reservoir, um, and so it. it it is a uh, it's a it's a very it's a very well respected discussion that we try to have not only you know in the timeout but even intraoperatively um, and you know that when they're compressing when they bring out uh, you know when they're bringing the intestines out to try to you know uh, you know try to dissect down on their specific um, you know where they're wanting to cannulate and things you know a lot of times they're compressing on on the IDC and all of a sudden I'm like hey uh, Anybody pressing up there because I got no volume. Hey Matt. Hey yeah. Matt. I'm sorry to interrupt you. Hey Dr. Hoffman, could that thing you've got in your hand that you keep spinning yet yeah, creates a bunch a bunch of buzzing. <laughs> so <laughs> I know you <laughs> yeah, so yeah. he just doesn't get to touch it. So you're not allowed to touch that. <laughs> He's that's a fidget spinner. That's a perfusion device. That's a you got you gotta I'm stay done. I'm done. Can't touch that. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, so, so, so you're saying if you take you found if you take off the volume, you end up adding the volume anyway because you're having a lot of bleeding, possibly in other areas of yeah. the body. Mm -hmm. I see. Yeah. yeah. Not, not only are, well, not only do we, you know, would you add the volume back? Even by not taking volume off, we end up giving more volume. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the volume that that is really our biggest struggle because we'll get to 45 or 50 minutes. Mm -hmm. And it, it's almost to the point where, and you don't want to give a lot of pressors because that's contra, you know, oh, that's right. that's contraindicating what you're trying to do is you know get good regional perfusion. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And yeah. so you're trying not to, 
give pressors, but on the same token, you have to have something in the tank. You don't want to drop crystalloid at the very last minute because you know that's going to disrupt. You know, you're trying to get your your organ completely buffered perfect uh, right before it goes into cold transport. So there, there's a lot of things that we're trying to we're trying to juggle a lot of balls at the end uh, to try to you know maximize the uh, uh, more or less the cold storage. Um, and it, it, it's literally a finish line a lot of times where we go, hey, we just we have to come off here. Mm-hmm. I see. Well, I think so that's that's. I think for me, that's. I mean, that all makes a lot of really good sense. You know, I have a question for all of you, and you can each answer this question. Actually, a couple of very quick questions. Um, quick questions, but complex answers. Um, you know, this is a very new device. It's very limited in who is using it. Um, this technique is certainly, uh, I think, revolutionary in regards to how you're uh, treating these patients to expand your organ pool. So one is, how much are you really expanding that organ pool? And given the what seems to be, and correct me if I'm wrong, the somewhat labor-intensiveness nature of this these techniques that you're doing, where do you see it going in the future? Is this going to get simpler, more, 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 more automated? Uh, you're just you're going to start expanding it out to even using it on even farther away patients. Mm-hmm. So what are we? What are you accomplishing? Number one, how often? How many people are doing this? What's the goal? And where do you see it going in the future? And you can each answer those questions in whichever order you prefer. I'm going to defer to Dr. Hoffman. Well, I can start really quickly. Uh, as far as the NRP technique, uh, in the United States, we are the only group doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. There's a group in New York who is bringing um, the donors to their hospital um, and then cannulating them, basically using NRP, but the donor has to be moved to their hospital, which is a major drawback to that to that yeah. method. We're the only team or group going out to the donor and getting uh, getting a heart using NRP. So we've traveled two, three, four hundred, five hundred uh, miles just to get these hearts. Um, and we've extended our, our total ischemic times uh, almost up to four hours at this point. Um, so uh, there's a group in uh, Europe, the Papworth group, who uh, and they're they're um, they're doing NRP, but they're not using cold storage like we are. After we cut the heart out, what they're doing is they're using NRP and then taking the heart out and putting it on the ex vivo uh, transmedics device. Oh. And so their technique is also a little bit different. So we we actually have some research and a paper coming out that's going to demonstrate the effectiveness of this NRP technique with cold static storage up to three or four hours. Um, and which, in my mind, is revolutionary. Yeah. Um, where I see this going, I, I don't think this is a technique for every center. I think, uh, like you said, it requires two perfusionists, two surgeons, and a, a preservationist. And it requires a lot of resource mobilization. So I think you're going to see this done at big centers. Um, but smaller centers are not going to pick this up. Um, it, it, for us, uh, we did eight in 2020. Uh, and we've done another uh, eight in 2021. And um, just doing eight with a total transplant volume of, of about 128 adults, that expanded our transplant volume by 7%. Um, 
And so I think we'll settle out somewhere between 7 and 15% increase in our transplant volume just because of the NRP method. The Transmedics has also expanded our, um, our transplant volume um, and, and, uh, to, to the same amount. I mean, we've done almost essentially the same number of DCD uh, uh, NRPs and DCD uh, Transmedics uh, OCS. So probably uh, 15 to 20% when all is said and done, we've, we've picked up 20, 15 to 20% increased volume in DCD donation at our center. So again, you won't see smaller centers doing this. You'll see bigger centers doing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's going to be very interesting um, because, you know, of course, you really have to – it sounds like a technique you have to be good at. You can't just do it once in a while. It sounds like something you have to be seriously dedicated to and have the number of patients that you need to have that routine down so that you know what's going to work and, and so forth. I, I can understand easily that trying to expand this into smaller centers – could be disastrous if that happens because it would take those patients potentially away from somebody with more experience and the outcome might not be uh, as good. So I always worry about that and how industry is going to try and promote this and push it out into anybody can do this, everyone should be able to do this and dilute out the, uh, the actual benefit of it. I don't know. That's my thought. I don't know if that's something you're concerned about. Yeah, I think that um, our, I think the other thing is that smaller centers may have a shorter transplant list or wait list and don't necessarily need a technique like this because they're able to reduce their transplant list uh, with just standard brain dead donors. Uh, mm-hmm. For a, a program as large as ours, we have many people who might otherwise be waiting on the transplant list for a long period of time. And we found that it consenting patients who are interested in receiving DCD donated hearts um, actually shorten their wait list time uh, significantly. Um, you know, at least when, if they consent to the use of an NRP heart, uh, I've found that they shorten their wait list time by half. And wow. that's just the NRP hearts. I don't know if that changes anything for the Transmedics device, but you can shorten, you know, there are different techniques to shorten your wait list time. So this is just one of them. Mm-hmm. I have one follow-up question. So um, I know you have a, a large team of perfusionists there. Uh, is everyone on the rotation to do these sorts of things, or you have a specialized group? How do you handle that? I see Matt smiling. <laughs> uh, it, it, that, that, um, that, is, that is becoming more of an issue for us um, because, uh, I mean, we... Uh, in the month month of March, we did uh, ten hearts in the first nine days of of, of March, wow. and so when you, when you're going out and and these there um, no, none of these things that we talked about today, whether it be OCS or NRP, uh, the fastest that the, from when you leave Vanderbilt to come back to Vanderbilt with the organ, it's it's never less than seven hours, um, wow. and. That, that's that's two people out um, for a significant portion of the day, um, which, and and then you know when you're transplanting the heart, you actually have a third person on this particular case. You've got two doing the procurement. You've got yeah. one that um, is taking care of the patient, the recipient back. So you're you're talking about three perfusionists that um, that are you know a significant amount of time, uh, whether it's five or six hours on, on the transplant um, patient. 
we do not have a lot of uh, we do not have a lot of people that are um, that are interested in, in flying and, and going to do this. About half our group does it, mm -hmm. um, and and the other half fill the fill the back back fill the holes that are left mm -hmm. for the people that do go. Right. Well, that's what I was curious is how much because uh, I knew that you know especially traveling further and further that's just going to lengthen the entire experience of going to get these. Um, organs and so I was just curious you know how you were managing that I'm sure um, you know this is an exciting uh, program for you but again it gets back to staffing and man hours and all the things that um, surround that and I know that's going to be very challenging but it's it sounds wonderful I it think does. it sounds really exciting well you know I told Joey Joey I, and I did a horrible job by the way introducing all of you all but we were you know we were apparently there was some mishaps and when you throw me off you know I'm a perfusionist right like all the rest of us here except Dr. Hoffman he just tries to be one I know but uh, and in some he, he likes to touch things that's that's what we do doc so you're good I've got a bypass machine in my office I don't, no, no doubt we, we'll accept you into our fold um, but uh, but you know when you throw me off you know you get the system thrown off it goes terrible but Joey you're a graduate of the Vanderbilt program right and I think you've now been working there for four years and when we first met I told you that your four years there have probably worth more experience wise than 25 years yeah. having worked someplace else so you're you're you've got a phenomenal career ahead of you for sure but well, I understand this is you two heart surgeons you have two perfusionists to go on these things you have a uh, someone that you said maintains the physiology or somebody else um, back taking care of the recipient Right? No, there's oh. somebody else on their team. So you have oh preservationist, preservationist, preservationist. right? Preservationist. Okay. The labor intensiveness of it, the time it takes you to do this, um, the uh, you know basically the interruption of whatever personal life you thought you were ever going to have. How did you get to where you are? Why do you love doing this so much? And uh, you know what do you think about all of it in terms of the amount of work it takes to actually preserve this organ, specifically in the transmedics box is what I'm talking about, the, the, the heart in a box technique. Um, what, are you, what are your thoughts? Uh, you know, I, I don't know, I mean, it's from a personal standpoint, I've always kind of been a worker bee. Um, and, and the technology involved is, is fascinating, you know, and, and then, you know, most importantly is we're giving these patients you know, kind of a second chance, and um, you know, I think that's what we really, you know, lean on is is, you know, uh, you know, these, these people, uh, you know, they just they need some help, and you know, that's what we're all in healthcare for, and so um, you know, if, if I have the opportunity to to jump on something new, you know, um, I go head first. So um, you know, it, it's been exciting. I, I'm lucky to. To be involved here at Vanderbilt, and so I just you know take every opportunity I can. Did you and, and Joe? Oh, ahead, sorry, Joe. No, you go ahead, Matt. And, and you know we all think about the the, the recipient, right? Um, you know, typical perfusionists don't get to see uh, the donor family. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They don't get to see that, and so um, you know we we do try to keep you know. Um, 
you know, we're not in there when the patient expires, of course, but without a doubt, you know, you, you get glimpses or you get the, you know, the, the story from the staff there. But there's also something said about the, don the, the family of the donor, right? They, they have some, you know, terrible misfortune, tragic story has happened to that family. And the only silver lining on the table that's left for them is that they know that um, by you know giving the gift uh, of organ donation, that's the silver lining uh, in it for uh, for them. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. You know, in their dark in their darkest hour. Yeah. So I have seen that where you know people are like, yep, but you know, and, and they they say you know they this he or she were oh, was a wonderful person, and uh, you know you know they talk about that. You know, they were very, you know, they were very generous, generous person in life, and, and, and with the donation, you know, it just kind of epitomizes who they were, uh, while you know, while while they were living. And so, I, I think we, as as a perfusionist, until I went on these, I didn't really uh, fully, you know, realize the impact of actually the the donation um, that can be probably the only uplifting, um, you know, nugget in the story for the donation family. Mm -hmm. that's, yeah, a, that's, that's a very good point. I was actually thinking of that because, you know, um, it's often can be seen as a way to honor uh, the donor's, you know, philosophy or, or um, their life, that how they lived, what they would have wanted done for them. And, uh, you know, families are trying to take great care into doing those things, uh, especially, you know, at, at the end of someone's life. So I think that's a really valid point, and I'm glad you brought it up. Joe, you had something? No, I think, I think that was about it. I do have, uh, do you guys have any final thoughts? Dr. Hoffman? Yeah, uh, I, I want to just recap for everyone watching, you know, the, 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 the DCD is an up-and-coming method of procurement for hearts. Um, we're still in the infancy. I know that these were, you know, the early uh, heart transplants were done like this, but this is a technique that's kind of made a resurgence. So just to recap, uh, there are four typical ways to go about uh, doing this. There's the the DCD NRP process with cold storage, which we do. There's the transmedics device, um, which is you pull it out, you put it on the device, and you bring it back. There's the hybrid approach, which is the DCD with NRP, cut it out, and then put it on the OCS device for travel. That's the third way. And then the fourth way, which we haven't talked about at all yet, is what I call the grab-and-go technique, which was basically pioneered by the University of Colorado group in 2008. Um, but no one really does that. I think one day we will get there. We're just not there yet. Um, but my prediction is that we will get there one day. And uh, it'll basically go back to being a surgeon and a preservationist going out, getting the heart, taking it out of the body, and coming back on ice. Um, but for right now, I think this NRP technique works. And it's, it's you know, all our patients have done very well with it. So. Hmm. Well, you have a lot to be proud of, you know, especially right. being, again, I don't want I don't want to uh, 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 be redundant, but I want to stress because I think it's something to be very proud of, being recognized now as number one in heart transplants uh, mm -hmm. in the world. I think that is an incredible uh, it's an incredible accomplishment and something you should be. Oh, your mic's. Oh. It, you're not wearing it. No. 
I'm getting as bad as Dr. Hoffman. Some, there you go. Something you should be very. So you're, you, you, run should, a, you run a program. I run a program. I know. Well, they should have noticed it over there. They didn't notice it. You know? So you see how much help I get around here, Matt? I get treated horribly. Joey, you need to come here. You know. So anyway, but I had really blown. I think it's something to be really proud of. But I blew it when we first started because there was all that discombobulation. So for everyone in the audience that's watching and also for your, you guys, this is how we were actually supposed to start the program. So if you could just indulge me for one second, we created a little introduction. We can play it, come back on, we can close up, and we can all get out of here exactly on time, if that's okay with you, if you, if you don't mind. Go for it, David. So that's what we were supposed to do, run your introduction. So there it is, a post, a post, a post-duction, post-reduction, whatever you want to call it. Sounds like a turd-ducken. But uh, this has been a fascinating conversation. I've really enjoyed it a lot. Um, Matt, maybe we could get together and talk about We'll get better at it, of course. Everything is always an evolution. Uh, we get better at everything that we do on a more routine basis. I understand that our program is going to be predictable as the first, I think we agreed on the first Wednesday of every month, we'll get the new topics that you guys are going to be doing. And it can be from the cardiovascular department, perfusion department, critical care department. Um, the sky is the limit as far as what we're doing, but the whole concept, the whole idea is that we are sharing our knowledge from more than just one place, but multiple places around the country because we all have experiences and things that we are really good at and can learn from each other. And I think that's ultimately the goal is to make sure that the information that's getting out there is usable by our colleagues, understood by our colleagues, and people also learn and understand what resources there are out there for us to manage difficult patients because there's a lot of people with a lot of experience you just have to know where to go to get that information that you might need. And uh, you guys clearly like to share your, your expertise and do things that are right for patients. So we appreciate that. With that said, I'm going to pass this over to Tammy, but ask you guys if there's any final thoughts that you have or would like to say anything else before we say goodbye. Until next time, please, uh, the floor is yours. I appreciate it, Joe. Uh, we'll see you next month. We're looking forward to it. Joey, any thoughts on your first uh, first program? Uh, it's been interesting, but, but uh, you know, I, I do appreciate you having us on. Looking forward to some more. Well, we appreciate it, too. Dr. Hoffman? Uh, nothing more to add about the DCD stuff. I mean, I could talk for hours about it. I've got other things we can talk about, and uh, I'm sure we have topics for the future. Well, hopefully we can do that next next program, go to step two of this program so that we can continue to talk about exactly what it is your passions are. I'm willing to do that all day long. So we thank you for that. Tammy, if you'd like to close us out. Yeah, thanks for joining us, guys. It's been a real pleasure. You guys should be really proud of 
you know, the accomplishments that you've done at Vanderbilt, and we're just so thrilled to have you be a part of uh, this collaborative effort. Yeah. I think that's perfect. Thank you, guys. We'll see you, we'll see you in a month. And, Matt, I'll give you a call later on this afternoon. We need to come Sounds up good, there. Joe. We need to come up there and work on your on your cameraology a little bit. All right. Bye. Thanks, Joe. Bye. Thank you.